in this episode of Collective Reject. What I kind of think about artwork is when I don't think about it. That's when I realize that it's actually done very well. And I think this accomplished that. I like to kind of pour over pages and look for little pieces here and there. Whether you a hero or a villain, expedition leads to crazy feelings. Every page I turn, you know I got a feeling. New stories everywhere, busting out the comic strip. Story so good, it got me on a power trip. Crazy battles got my mind in a total race. Page one, the original story takes place. So gear up for the new storyline. Writing so good, it sends chills down your spine. Collect or reject, 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 collect or reject. Greetings, true believers. Welcome to Collect or Reject, a show about comics, or more specifically, lesser-known comics. My name is Mark Withers, and I'm honored and privileged to be your host today. Here's how it works. Each week, a guest and I will read five issues of a pre-selected title, and based on those five issues, we'll try and determine whether or not that comic should be added to your pull list. Today's comic is Not All Robots by Mark Russell and Mike Diodato Jr., Joining me to talk about it is the owner of Low Key Comics in Hornell, New York, ladies and gentlemen, Jamie Kellogg. Jamie, thanks for being on the show. Hey, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here today. This sounds like fun. Awesome. You know, I haven't yet had someone on the show who owns a comic book store. And so this is partially a show where we talk about value and talk about whether or not some of the titles that we discuss on the show are actually going to blow up or if they're going to sink. So thanks in advance for doing this. Sure. I don't know about being an expert, but I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I also got to say that like it was sort of like a childhood dream of mine to one day own a comic book store. So that Mm -hmm. has got to be incredible. What is that like? It actually is incredible. Um, Actually, I'm educated to be an art teacher myself and comics and art are kind of like the love of my life. But I uh, saw a space and decided to take it into the the private market. So my shop is also like an art classes and I kind of highlight the art pretty heavily. I've got a lot of art on the walls and I, you know, so that's kind of my angle is as far as the comic shop. But I've also discovered how a fun of a community it is and how I get to meet all kinds of interesting people from all walks of life with all kinds of stories. And most everybody has the first edition of something that their mother or father threw away a long time ago. So it's fun to get to hear those stories. That's something I didn't quite expect about it. Right on. Now, you also do a lot of uh, like role playing events. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So we started with Dungeons and Dragons because I was a little more familiar with that world. And then I've been slowly building up like the Magic the Gathering um, kind of community as well. I just have a lot of great space here and I wanted to utilize it. So we do have like an adult Dungeons and Dragons group that meets once a week. um, And I'm trying to grow to that to be two groups. And I also have two kids groups that I've actually started DMing for. And they've been meeting in the summertime, but now that school is starting back up. They're going to be meeting after school on Thursday and then on Friday to do like a little two-hour session every week. So it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy working with the kids. That's something I always love. So it's nice to be able to provide that, you know, escape for the or for the community to give something to do other than, you know, get in trouble or, you know, just sit behind the screen. So I'm really happy to be able to do that. Very cool. Very cool. Now, I am eager to get into the topic at hand. But before we do, I usually ask our guests to sort of talk a little bit about themselves and how they got into the comic book world. So if you could do that, that'd be awesome. Well, yeah, I've uh, I've been interested in like the culture for forever. I remember watching the old um, Christopher Reeves Superman uh, when I was a kid and just absolutely loving them and being enthralled by that. 
And then Lou Ferrigno's Hulk was something I was really, really kind of just taken aback by. Um, never made the connection to comics until I was probably in like fourth or fifth grade. And then it kind of became the popular thing. Everybody was buying up all the uh, the new X-Men, the new uh, Jim Lee run. So that was kind of like my introduction to the actual comic book world. Um, and I, as an artist, I would just buy like one or two. I, we didn't have a lot of money, so I was a cover chaser more than anything. And so I was just, if a cover looked great to me, I would buy it, I would draw it, I would draw as many, many pictures out of it as I could. And then that's pretty much how I taught myself how to draw was through comics. So I've been just a fan ever since and I follow specific artists now that I just can't get enough of. So it's something that I've just decided to uh, cannot just hang on to my whole life. Who are some of your favorite artists? Um, right now, I'm really, really digging uh, Peach Momoko. She's this Japanese artist, and I'm a big fan of the culture itself. Um, studied it a little bit in my education, but I just like how she's different. You know, like it's a pretty uh, masculine-driven uh, industry, but she puts a really nice, like, feminine and respectfully feminine touch to it. So, like, her characters are unique and interesting. Her artwork is like uh, watercolors mostly, so she has a very painterly feel to her stuff, and I really love that. But uh, Todd McFarlane is like my my OG. Like I just couldn't stop reading and drawing Spawn when I was a kid. So you know I have a pretty beat up bunch of issues in my uh, in my attic just because they were just you know thumbed through over and over and over and over again. So Todd McFarlane is, is my guy <laughs> for the long haul. <laughs> I can definitely respect that. You know when I was a kid, um, Web of Spider Man came out and that very famous cover with just spidey in the middle and there's just like these wet like almost like spaghetti looking webs just like surrounding them i tried like i don't know how many times to try and recreate that myself but i just couldn't you know but i'm a big Todd mcfarlane fan myself i love spawn i love pretty much everything that he did in like the early 90s and everything like that i could talk about this stuff all day but we are here to talk about a specific comic so let's jump right into not all robots first of all it was very difficult to find this uh, as we talked about off mic but when i finally like got into and dug into it i didn't really realize that this was a satire that it was not really like your normal sort of action adventure comic like the way that the comic book covers sort of suggest Right. If I was to describe this, I'd probably have a hard time. Uh, as I've mentioned in other episodes, I'm pretty bad at describing like the synopses of some of these. So I'm going to let Wikipedia in this case describe this for me. So it says in the year 2056, robots have replaced humans in the workforce. An uneasy coexistence develops between the newly intelligent robots and the 10 billion humans living on Earth. Every human family is assigned a robot upon whom they are completely reliant. What could possibly go wrong? Now, <laughs> I like how this is sort of vague, but it sort of explains what's going on. Mark Russell himself said in an interview that when he wrote this, you know, when he had the idea to write this story, it was sort of an amalgamation of all of the social media issues and social media movements that were happening like in 2020, sort of pre-COVID and into COVID. So what was your initial feeling about this comic upon reading like the first couple issues? Um, I thought I had a pretty good idea of what I was getting myself into pretty early on. I thought it was 
pretty on the nose, the metaphors or the allegories that they were making. The main like male character, uh, it has a striking resemblance to um, Michael Douglas in Falling Down. I don't know if you picked up on that, but I was like, okay, I, I get an idea here of, you know, the dynamic that's going to take place. But then I was also very pleasantly surprised as I read on how they kind of changed the focus like from back and forth to like the robots to the man and back and forth. So I, I was actually really pleased with how creative it was, even though I thought I had it kind of nailed down from the get go. I wasn't quite right. So I was happy with that. Yeah, I kind of have the same feeling. It was really on the nose with a lot of things. Like Mark Russell described, one of the things that he tried to sort of shadow was the Me Too movement, right? Mm -hmm. And the backlash that that movement received. Like there was also like a not all men movement that was basically attacking this Me Too movement, basically right. saying like, oh, well, we survived it. Like I had bad things happen to me. I've survived it. So why can't you survive this? Yeah. And you see a lot of those notes coming from the robots that actually have to go into the factory and work and things like that versus the um, the humans that kind of feel terrorized and feel sort of uh, afraid of these robots. Like, what if they turn on us? What if they right. decide that they're better than us? And like, mm -hmm. I thought it was like pretty smart writing. At the same time, I thought that some of the comedy was a little... <laughs> Like it was like a little too much, like the parts of it were kind of out of place, but yeah. overall I did enjoy it. Yeah. The comedy was interesting. I, I, I don't want to say they were like trying too hard, but there was a lot of like pop culture references in there that I think maybe it was just a way to connect it to our society specifically, because it doesn't feel like us, you know, because the robots are actually like automatrons. They look like people, but I did get the feeling that, you know, the robots that they were talking about in this was like the work kind of like a slave to is the social media aspect of it, which doesn't quite have a face. So I thought maybe that's kind of where I was wondering if they just use those like little kind of pop culture hints to connect it back to our world to make it more relatable. But uh, I did laugh quite a few times when I was like, I don't know if I should be laughing because the story is fairly dark, but I just appreciated those little bits of humor here and there too. But yeah, I, I know what you mean about it. Sometime catching you off guard. It was a little like, whoa. <laughs> so, <okay. laughs> what was your thought about the artwork? I'm a big fan of Mike Diodato Jr. You know, one of the things he said was that it was really difficult for him to draw these robots over and over and over again. But one of the things that I found striking is that when he drew humans, he would draw them with like actors' faces, right? Yes. So like he yep. would draw, like you said, like Michael Douglas mm -hmm. as like the father. One of the guys from the resistance is clearly Michael K. Williams. Okay. And, uh, oh, and, yep. and one of the reporters uh, in one of the later issues, I think either issue four or number five, like, like one of the roving reporters is clearly George Clooney. Like when you, when you look at his face, it's like, well, that's like he put George yeah. Clooney in here. <laughs> that's the one that got shivved there at the, like when they. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll have to yeah. go back and double check that. But I didn't quite <laughs> pick up on those ones, but I did pick up on some of them. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, he didn't do it with every character, but I did notice that with certain key characters, he was like, he, mm -hmm. he actually drew in celebrities in certain aspects. It, it pulled me out of it, but in other aspects, it was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's kind of funny. Like if they made this into a film, like it'd be funny if this character actually played this this person right. what, sure. what was your thought on the on the artwork overall what i kind of think about artwork is when i don't think about it that's when i realize that it's actually done very well and i think this accomplished that i like to kind of pour over pages and look for little pieces here and there but the story kind of pulled me in and then i realized that i was just immersed in the experience and the artwork matched the story very well it was a little bit gritty you know it had like kind of a 
almost like the Ben Dane dots a little bit here and there, which I always appreciate that just because it's the uh, the comic throwback to it. The faces were like rendered really well. The emotion was there. And then I did read the little synopsis in the back where uh, Diado, I, I never pronounce it right, Diodato uh, was talking about using posture to give emotions to the robots. And I thought that was really well done too. Um, that's something that's difficult to do is to show emotion through just body language and um, and still. So I was really, really impressed by the artwork. I thought it was perfect for the tone of the story. And it was almost pleasant. I don't know if that makes sense, but it was almost yeah. like a, a just calming. Like there was one panel in specific where the mother got thrown out of the tube and she was just a small little panel floating and the lighting was beautiful. And it was like a really serious thing. But I was like, just kind of, wow, this is a really peaceful, calm panel because it was just nice lighting, nice colors and but it was like kind of juxtaposed by what was really going on. So I really enjoyed the art. I was very impressed. So, but I've also been a fan for a while. I didn't have, you know, my expectations were met. So I'll say that. Right. I did have high expectations to begin with knowing what I was getting into it. But yeah, after a while, I just kind of started reading and enjoying the story and not really, you know, taking a step back to examine. So that's how I think I know it was a successful work of art because I stopped thinking about it as a work of art. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Now, I thought we'd take a second to talk about the dollar value of these books. Now, normally, you know, on this show, we are talking about comics that, you know, have been out for a while. Like, for example, Saga, we did an episode talking about that, and that was released, I believe, in 2012. Um, We talked about some comics that are older than that. This actually came out uh, like literally a year this week. So it hasn't been out very long at all. Um, I'm not sure how well it sold when it came out, but at the time of its initial publishing, uh, the average cost of these five issues was about $3.99, which was the cover price. Um, The average cost now is about the same, maybe a dollar or so more. They are a little bit more difficult to get when you can get them, like at least how they've been priced online. It's been about $4.99 or so for, you know, in some cases, $4.50. So the needle hasn't moved very much. Now, uh, you being a comic store owner, does that sway your verdict one way or another as far as whether or not this would be a collectible? Um, the monetary part, not so much. That's like the, I don't know how to put it. Like, I don't love that part of the business, but I understand that's part of the business and I respect it. Um, I would say it's a keeper just based on entertainment value alone, but I do think it has like, um, the possibility to be adapted. And that seems to be what shoots comics into the stratosphere anymore is Netflix picks it up or something like that. But it's also like this story has been told before, um, like the robot uprising and and many different venues. So I would be hard pressed to say that this specific story would be picked up um, by a major network or anything like that. But stories very similar to it have been and probably will be. Um, but I think just it's very topical and it's kind of like a, it's a, it gives good life lessons, too. So I would uh, recommend libraries picking up this kind of graphic novel and offering it to maybe an, an older teen audience because it is uh, does have some violence to it. But overall, it wasn't too graphic. But as far as the value, I, I if it is a little bit hard to find, I think it might be worth a shot because it's so cheap right now. And then at worst, you have a great story that you can just hold on to. So, And I know the trade is out there as well. I probably wouldn't bet on this going big, but I mean, you're not going to invest a lot even if uh, you did want to take a shot on a book like this. And it's worth it. I mean, cover price is definitely worth it for this type of book. 
it doesn't really sway my verdict one way or the other. I enjoyed this comic. I could definitely see an adaptation. Um, the, the comedy value alone is there. I could see somebody like Netflix or Hulu picking this up and like actually turning this into something. I would probably just pick this up maybe as a trade. I don't know if it's going to go beyond the first volume right. or the first five issues because I was only able to find these first five issues. I don't know if it's been discontinued or not. Yeah, I actually, um, when I got to the end, I was like, wait a minute, is there more that I'm missing? And then when I went looking, I couldn't find anything either. So who knows? <laughs> right. Same here. Same here. So I say we just go right into the verdict. Officially, what is your verdict? Collect or reject? I say collect. Just because it's a great story, great art, and it's worth it just for the pure entertainment value alone. I actually, I like the uh, the covers from the comics themselves. I thought they were interesting. So if I were to come across them in, you know, a bin somewhere, I probably would pick them up just because I was so fond of the story and fond of the art. So just to keep it in my, my box upstairs, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this is going to be a collect from me simply because uh, I enjoyed the story that much. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I would probably collect it as a trade, just as a one volume type of a thing. This story itself got really, really good reviews at the time that it came out. I don't know how well it did in terms of sales, mm-hmm. but I do see this maybe like, you know, in the next five years being optioned and, and turning yeah. into something and then people going back and discovering it later on sure, um, yeah. and that might boost its value. But even if it doesn't, I think mm-hmm. it's worth it as sort of like a one-off story, something right. fun to read, yeah. something to maybe share with people who don't normally read comics Mm -hmm. who maybe only think of like, you know, Superman and Batman, and I'm not into that stuff. I'm not into that Superman stuff. Like, so, you know, for a person like that, you could hand them that and say like, Hey, there are other types of comics and use that as an example. So for that, I would collect it. Yeah. And it doesn't have any like major characters. I think that are going anywhere, you know, they're not going to launch a new series out of any of these characters. They're just kind of meant to be everyday man. So for that aspect too there's not a huge amount of collectability in it but just for the great story that i would say go for it right on and we're gonna leave it there once again i'd like to thank my guest jamie kellogg jamie before you go please tell our audience where they can find you Uh, i'm in a little tiny town in western new york called hornell um right on the main street if you see the burger king I'm right around the corner from the Burger King. That's that's how you give directions in small towns, in case you didn't know. (laughs) You just give a landmark and say you're nearby that. Um, But yeah, small little shop, Low Key Comics. It's uh, 83 Main Street, Cornell, New York. I got a website, lowkeycomics.com. All my hours and events and things are like that are on there. I'm on Instagram at low underscore key underscore comics. And uh, I'm supposed to do TikTok stuff, but I'm not very good at it. So my TikTok isn't really worth (laughs) taking a look at just yet. But maybe maybe if I learn to dance, I'll uh, get more followers. (laughs) And of course, I want to thank all of you for listening. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review this episode. Until next time, this is Mark Withers. Catch you on the next page. Collective Reject is a production of Press Play Media in association with Von Keith Sounds. This episode was produced and edited by Mark Withers, music by Keith Sewell. Not All Robots was created by Mark Russell and Mike Diodato Jr. for AWA Studios. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at collectorreject.com.